Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. My name is Rijk van Kerk and my guest today is Samantha Stein. She's the Chief Investment Officer of Canon Asset Managers and she manages uh, several of the group's premier portfolios. Samantha, welcome to the show. We've seen a very volatile year, but in the past week or so, we've seen a surge in most markets around the world and in South Africa. Now, there are many views as to why we've seen this surge. Some refer to the COVID-19 vaccine, others to the election of Joe Biden as the new U.S. president. How do you see the, the, the developments of the past week or so? Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think um, volatile year is an understatement. That's probably the theme of this year. And as you mentioned, month to date, I mean, we've seen a massive increase in performance across the board. I mean, I was looking at the numbers this morning. You have the mid and small cap shares up between 12 and 14 percent month to date. So, I mean, you ask what what causes this. I mean, price is often just driven by sentiment. You never know when when it's going to happen and when the mood is going to change. But I guess this week, the mood is for risk on. And we've just seen emerging markets in South Africa and equity markets performing quite well. Quite well. I think it's an upward correction uh, from what we've seen this year. And I think many, many investors would take 10% for the whole year. And we've seen this in, in less than two weeks. But 2020 is a year I don't think many fund managers will want to remember. Markets reacted to all sorts of news events uh, without taking into account any fundamentals. I would assume that is very, very difficult for a fund manager to manage a fund in an environment like this. Yeah, I agree. Um, Not a year we want to remember or relive. It was challenging, but... I think the best thing for fund managers is just to keep their cool and not be reactive or overreact to to these events. So if you were able to do that, I mean, what you saw in the first quarter was a massive sell-off. But since then, in most part of the markets, you've seen quite a, a nice recovery. So, um, yeah, I think it's just trying to strip out emotions. I mean, like you say, fundamentals aside because you can't really analyze the effect on fundamentals during that emotional roller coaster in Q1. Yeah, I think the best thing was to just hold the line and continue doing what you do best and um, not trying to make emotional reactive decisions. So you sat on your hands waiting for this to, I think, settle down in some way or did you maybe become more conservative? take money out of the equity market and putting it into cash or money market? Yeah, so I mean, we we manage a a wide range of portfolios within our strategic asset allocation portfolios. If you ask what we did, the answer is very little. We kind of held the line there. The smaller, we made a small additional investment into bonds. And that was just given the yield spike we saw. It was hard not to not to buy some more, but like I said, it's small incremental addition we added there. But for the most part in the strategic asset allocation portfolios, we held the line. In our more active equity portfolios, we did reduce some equity exposure just to have some dry powder on the side. But that happened so quick whereby we're still sitting on some cash because I think with most managers, everyone was waiting for a pullback or a second pullback, and we haven't quite experienced that. The markets basically sell off and rebounded within a three-week period. So we haven't allocated some of that equity that we lightened in the first bit of Q1. 
we're still sitting on a bit of cash, but it's small. It's 5%. Now, we've seen, as with this correction, that sentiment can change quite quickly. We've seen it in mm. March where I think most fund managers scratch, still scratch their heads about because uh, we see the significant drop and then a very V-shaped recovery and a very quick one. Your investors, do they expect you to do more, try to maybe not time the market, uh, but to be a bit more proactive to try and anticipate such sharp movement? No, I think investors are, are realistic. Often they want to know what you did, and sometimes it's harder to do nothing than something. So often they want to know, did you do something? And to say we did nothing seems like you did nothing, literally, not even. But, I mean, that is generally a harder choice to make. No, I mean, they investors invest with fund managers based on their process and their philosophy. And as long as you continue to demonstrate that you're sticking to that, I think they're happy with, with the way things have turned out. I mean, we definitely did make a few switches where we saw opportunity. We're quite intimate with the companies we invested in. So when you see a 30% pullback in a company where there is less risk than another company's business model going into a pandemic or an economic crisis, I mean, we did make those those changes. And I think our investors know us well enough and know the companies we invested in and the companies we're familiar with to be confident in our our abilities and our decisions. I want to talk about two of your funds, which I find very, very interesting. The first is the Hummingbird Fund. You co-managed this fund with Dr. Adrian Saville. And uh, it's different. If I look at the top 10 holdings within the fund, they are very SA Inc. focused. Tell us about this fund. What do you want to achieve? Yes, Hummingbird is really a very concentrated portfolio. I mean, we're speaking 10 stocks. For all intents and purposes, we like to refer to this as listed private equity. So really not where we expect investors to put majority of their funds. This should be really a satellite portfolio or very small allocation of your overall wealth. As you can imagine, with only 10 shares, the volatility is extremely high within this portfolio. But essentially, what we're looking to achieve here is very high growth. And naturally, to get that, you need a very concentrated portfolio that looks different to markets. So the shares we have in here, as you mentioned, they look like small cap equity. And I think that's that's obviously where we see value in the market. So if we're going to buy a stake within a company, what we're really doing here is trying to look for companies that we know well, we understand the business model, we're close to the management of these companies, we understand the value, and we see significant upside from the current price. And we it ticks those boxes, we'll take in this portfolio on average a 10% holding within that company to try and achieve our objectives. That's really the focus of this fund. You mentioned SA specific. I mean, that's not necessarily the goal. The goal is just to to find companies where, where we understand the value and we see upside potential that happens to be at the moment tilted towards more small cap sector in this market. The holdings are in Indequity, Transpaco, mm-hmm. Sabvest, Allied Electronics, uh, Santova, 
Metro file, master drilling, capital appreciation, combined motor holding, CMH, and, and SASFIN. Very mm. interesting selection. But most of these shares haven't performed well this year at all. As we've seen, if you take the performance of NASPAS and Proces out of the JSE, the whole market has performed actually a lot poorly than the uh, Aussie state or reflects. Yeah. How do you go about picking these type of stocks? So as you mentioned, yeah, I mean, if you look at the the mid and small cap performance, even the all share performance, if you strip out NASPAS and I suppose resource shares, I mean, you're looking at quite dismal performance year to date, even over a three and five year period. I mean, we spoke about mid and small up 14% month to date. I mean, that's not nearly enough to still fit the whole, which is about minus 20% year to date. So still a long way to go for a lot of these shares to recover. And likewise, the shares in, in the Hummingboard portfolio. I mean, if you have so much negative sentiment within this part of the market, it doesn't matter what these companies ultimately do. I mean, they're going to trade on depressed multiples and underperform. And that's generally what we're seeing within that part of the market and within the Hummingbird Fund. So even if, for example, example, our fifth biggest holding there is Ultron, Ultron isn't necessarily even a South African-focused company. I mean, half of its earnings come from Bytes UK, which is offshore. But the market doesn't really care. It's listed in South Africa. It's in the mid and small cap space. And therefore, the rating is going to be a SA Inc. mid and small cap rating. So even there where management is planning on listing Bart UK to try and unlock that value, the market still doesn't realize that. So they're even showing a, a value equal to $10 billion. The market cap of Ultron is $12 billion, yet Bart UK only makes up half of Ultron's EBITDA. So you can definitely see a disconnect between the value and the earnings versus the price. And I mean, we can't control price. So generally, we're looking for companies that have massive amounts of value versus their current price. And ultimately, what we need is time. I mean, we never know when those two are going to converge and when the price is going to reflect the value. But ultimately, in this portfolio, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that disconnect, that inefficiency in the market and the investor that's going to buy into this portfolio needs to understand that and needs to give the portfolio time because there was a time, if you look at the 2013 to 2017 performance, where this portfolio did double three times market returns. So really, that's what we're looking for and that's the investor we're looking for in this portfolio. Yeah, it's most definitely not a, a portfolio mm-hmm. that will track the, the averages on, on the JSE and other markets. Almost like gold companies, you know, they would... Mm-hmm. Have a long down cycle and then when there's an up cycle, it's really an aggressive one, actually what we have seen now. Mm-hmm. But value, there are a lot of value investors in South Africa. They look at the local market and they think, wow, this is probably the best value we've seen in decades. While others say, hey, yes, there may be value, but it's a value trap. We're not going to see recoveries mm-hmm. in the near term. How do you view the value trap type of perspective? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think often when you see all these companies trading on depressed multiples. That's not good enough to say that's value. For us, value is far more than a price-to-earnings multiple or a dividend yield or a price-to-book. I mean, that's that's not really necessarily value in our mind. We try and assess value on a far more fundamental cash flow basis. So value is a, it's quite a general term, but I think to us, we really want to understand 
the value of the company based on the underlying assets in that business, the balance sheet, the business model. I mean, often you can invest in a company on a low PE, but if it's a poor business model in an environment that's strained like South Africa, I mean, you you could definitely get yourself into a value trap. So it's really understanding what's the cash flow drivers, how much cash on the balance sheet, is the business model strong enough? What do we believe this business is worth based on the current assets and earnings of the business, disregarding growth or anything like that? And assessing that to figure out the value of the business. And I mean, you really need to incorporate all those factors when when assessing for value to try and avoid what you refer to as value traps. The other fund I would like to talk about is the uh, Superdogs portfolio. It is also managed by Dr. Adrian Saville and yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of the more famous funds because it's really counterintuitive in many ways. It has not performed well over the last few years. And and the reasons are pretty much, I think, what you've summarized earlier, where this fund looks at really companies that could make it big and can make it big quickly. But due to the economic circumstances mm-hmm. in South Africa just, just hasn't. Um, I also see this uh, many of the names or the holdings I see in the Hunningbird Fund this mm-hmm. also appears in the Superdogs Fund. Just quickly, exactly what do you want to achieve with the uh, Superdogs Fund and, and, and how does it differ from the Hummingbird Fund? Superdogs is built more mechanically so that's built at the beginning of each year whereby we filter out companies on the JSC based on multiple such as price earnings, price book, ROE, is the company profitable? And we find the most highly attractive companies within each of the subsectors on the JSE in their categories. And that's how we we build the Superdogs portfolio. What we do exclude is resource companies. So you can imagine you can't really filter a resource company based on those metrics. It would be nonsensical. You're looking at historical data, which isn't going to give you any sense of the the resource company's ability to generate future cash flows. So this portfolio, Superdogs, only does this for financial and industrial shares. So you can imagine if you look at performance over the past three to five years on the JC, even year to date, I mean, the only thing that's really hold the JC up is resource shares. So not having resource companies within the Superdogs portfolio has really hurt performance. I mean, I'm looking now year to date, financials down 24, industrials up 15, which we know is a lot of the, the Rand hedges and then resources really doing most of the heavy lifting. So I think that partly explains the underperformance in Superdogs, just the lack of resource shares in the portfolio. But as you mentioned, I mean, it's really a diversified portfolio. We, we're looking at 40 shares within this this portfolio, so not nearly as concentrated as Hummingbird. And then what you're really looking for is if you look at this portfolio, you really only need five to 10 shares to shoot the lights out for this portfolio to do well. Even if you have one or two shares that do really badly, generally, if you have a small number of shares that do really well, the, the performance is quite quite good. So that's really, it's, it's as you mentioned, it's quite different to the rest of the market, but quite diversified. And that that's the Superdogs filtering process does give us a lot of ideas that filter through to the Hummingbird Fund, where we build a far more concentrated version of, of Superdogs within Hummingbird. Yeah, there's a, a big focus on small and mid-cap stocks, um, mm-hmm. but we've seen the number of companies listed on the JSE dwindle over the past 
few years, I think there are 340-odd companies listed currently, and that number will shrink, expect, over the next few years. Are you happy with the investable universe you have at your disposal? Are there enough of these companies you can can look at to, to construct such a portfolio? Yeah, so I mean, it's worth mentioning that Superdogs is not focused on just mid and small. I mean, that filtering process will put even the large companies at the top of a sector if it is unloved. So following Nenegate in January 2015-16, a lot of the banks sold off and a lot of them made it into the Superdogs portfolio that year. And they by no means um, mid and small size companies. And then I think even this year, you saw at the start of the year, you saw British American Tobacco, Aspen, a lot of our previous darlings on the JSE, these large cap shares that have just gone out of favor because of the perhaps the acquisitive business models that really the market is is not liking, also fall into super dogs because of their, their drop in valuation, their de-rating, and therefore their attractiveness in their particular sector. So the super dogs isn't isn't mm. size specific. It's just in times where mid and small caps are completely out of favor, they will naturally sit up in their subsector and therefore filter into the super dogs portfolio. Do you own any Cecil? No, we do not own any Sassel. So Sassel falls within resources. So okay. that's mm, in, yeah, mm. so that's excluded from our our superdogs and hummingbird portfolio. So I mean, yeah, I mean to your point, is the is there enough place to shop? Obviously it's getting the JC is shrinking. Liquidity is always a problem for us and when constructing portfolios we need to take liquidity into into account. And given the negative sentiment, followed by the lack of interest in mid and small cap shares, the liquidity has, it's almost non-existent in a few of the counters. So you speak 340 shares, I don't think the last 150 are even investable due to liquidity. So yeah, the, the universe is small, but there are still opportunities and we still are finding opportunities that are investable in this market. Just lastly, the hummingbird I see it's called a pooled portfolio. What exactly is a pooled portfolio? So the hummingbird we have within an endowment structure on the Hollard platform. So that just that 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 endowment is a pooled structure. So it's not a collective investment scheme. It is a pooled endowment, and the, we have it in that structure because of the tax efficiencies within that, as well as the investment within an endowment generally has a five-year minimum investment. I mean, you can imagine we can't really have clients coming in and out of super dogs. So just to manage that portfolio more effectively just makes more sense within the endowment structure. And the minimum investment for the Hummingbird Fund is 250,000 rand. Mm -hmm. And for the super dogs portfolio, 100,000 rand. Why do you set Mm -hmm. those relatively high minimum investment um, uh, amounts? The 100,000 rand for Hummingbird is set by Hollard. That's the minimum they will take within those endowment structures at a time. Um, so that's we, we take that from Hollard. With Hummingbird, we are building that portfolio for clients on a segregated basis. We find a lot of clients prefer segregated portfolios just due to the transparency. They can see the names. It's just, it just gives them a better look-through basis. They like to own the underlying shares in their name as opposed to in a unit trust where they don't have that full transparency look through into the portfolio. So therefore, 250000 minimum on Hummingbird is just makes 
cents due to us building 10 shares. So you're looking at about 25,000 investments in one share, which is doable on a cost basis when you're taking in brokerage fees and all of that into account. Samantha, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your insights. That was Samantha Stein. She is the Chief Investment Officer of Canon Asset Managers.